from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Um, so we've been working this year in a series. We try really hard at men's ministry to put together a theme for the year that, that kind of builds on itself. And so the theme for the year is, is trusting God in difficult times. How do we do that? And we had to start by getting our mind right theologically. And, and so the first thing we did was have Robert Sidlow talk on the sovereignty of God. And for me personally, over the last probably three years to five years of my life, getting my mind wrapped around that doctrine has been the most helpful thing in helping not to get anxious, uh, not to act like an idiot when things are weird, but instead to be able to go, you know what? God is sovereign. It's going to be okay. He knows what's going on. And, and so God is sovereign and everything that comes, comes through his hand. But then there's a couple other things we talked about the next one, which is not only is God sovereign, but you got to remember he is good, right? So in everything he does, it's good. And God loves me. Right? So not just sovereign, he can do whatever he wants, but he's good. So everything he does is good, but not just sovereign and good, he loves me. So his goodness is directional, right? It's, it's towards his people. And so that's what we've been working on in trying to get our minds right as we are difficult so that we might trust the Lord and act well. Because if the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? How do you glorify God if you don't even know how to act like a Christian when things get weird? If you act like the rest of the lost world that has no God in which they hope, right? So we try to get our mind right, but, but being very helpful, it's also created for me a little bit of a challenge because I'm, a, I'm, sounds weird, but I'm a man of action. I like to do stuff. Most of you guys are, right? We're fixers, doers. That's, that's how God made us. So I go, okay, God's sovereign. He's got this. I guess I'll just relax. Okay. But, but for me, then the challenge is, okay, where, where do I go from, a good and a healthy trust to being just lazy or or not engaging when I should engage. Because if God is sovereign, he's still chosen to work through men, right? So so the question on my soul is, and, and my, I have a very specific one, but in general, okay, where does trusting in a sovereign God, which we better do, where does that meet with my responsibility to act, right? And how did the two of those work together? And that then is kind of where the rubber meets the road, right? So I might know truth, but how I live that out is really the question, right? And it becomes an integral part of my testimony, right? The way that I live out what I know is what the world watching sees. So it matters. Get into kind of the nuts and bolts, the rubber meets the road of of where does trusting and acting meet? What does it look like? And then what I want you guys to do is I want you to listen very carefully, not only to what Luis is going to teach us because it's going to be fantastic. But I want you to listen in an application mindset, right? So as I listen to this truth, what's going on in my life that I need to answer that question with? Because at the end of what he shares with us, we're going to have a discussion panel. Uh, we're going to have Bill and Dave and maybe Dave Quill. Maybe two Daves and a Bill, maybe one Dave and a Bill. I don't know, but there's going to be a Dave up here one way or the other. Um, they're going to come up here and we're going to have an opportunity, guys, to go, okay, I heard that. That makes sense. What what would I do in this situation now? And I know with 100 guys in the room, sometimes we get uncomfortable to do that. But guys, I just want to encourage you. Listen, we are, we are here to help you guys figure out how to engage life well for the glory of God. And if you don't ask questions that help you resolve some of these things that have you high-centered, 
we're not helping you much, right? So we want to be a help to you. So we're going to have that panel time for discussion. So listen, but listen also thinking, okay, where does that meet me? So that at the end of it, we might have some meaningful conversation because I'll guarantee you guys, if you're having that struggle, there's a minimum of two or three other guys in this room that are having the same struggle and they probably don't have the courage to ask the question. So if, if there's something that's on your mind at the end of the message, let's talk about it. That's, with no further ado, Luis Castellanos <laughs> will speak to you. I'm not going to complain, but Dan literally took like my whole introduction just now. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <laughs> Fine, dude. I'm looking at my notes like, wow, that was great, Dan. <laughs> All right, so um, if you have a Bible, you guys, go with me to the book of Acts and go to chapter 27 with me. Here in a few moments, we're going to read um, verses 13 through 32. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, just hold them in readiness. Uh, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Luis Castellanos. I've been a part of CLF for uh, about 10 years with a bit of a break in between. <laughs> and uh, this is a good place. Uh, I love this church, and it's good to be with you this morning. I'm going to skip a whole page here because that was Dan's deal here. No, I'm uh, Yeah. 27. Did I not say that? Acts 27, 13 through 32. We'll read that in a few moments. So Acts 27, 13 through 32. So like Dan said, one of the things or what I'm going to attempt to do this morning, um, kind of as the uh, the culmination of this year in men's ministry, is I'm going to try to um, uh, put feet to the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. And... Um, what I what I titled this message, I don't know if you are a note taker, but um, I am. So what I titled this message is Sovereignty in the Everyday. Sovereignty in the Everyday. And the big question that I, for us this morning is what is the what is the connection between the sovereignty of God and the choices that we make every single day? You and I make real choices every day that have real consequences. And so how do those choices relate to this sovereignty of God, uh, sovereign God who is ruling and reigning over all things? So where do they intersect? What's the connection there? How do they relate? One more way to ask the same question is, what is the connection between the sovereignty of God and human responsibility? Dan said the theme for uh, this morning is uh, trust and knowing that we have this good, powerful, sovereign God and that we are responsible. How do we know when do we act and when do we just trust and wait and see what God will do? So that's kind of the, the big overarching theme that I'm going to try to uh, tackle this morning. And it's it's kind of heavy, so we'll go from there. Okay. Now, as we start, let me just ask four questions uh, to kind of get us thinking, to get us engaged. So here is question number one: Why do we pray if God is sovereign and He knows what I am going to pray even before? Question number two: Why do I share the gospel if God is sovereign and He is the one who elects? people unto salvation. Question three, 
If God in his sovereignty has ordained all of the affairs of human history, should I just sit down, get some popcorn, and watch the events of human history unfold? Or does God have a role for me to play in what he is trying to uh, do in the world? Now, how many of you guys have asked these questions before? A while back, I was watching a UFC fight with some friends, and uh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, while we were just hanging out, uh, one of the guys we we're talking about life and work and stuff, and one of the guys um, jokingly said, um, "Well, God has already decided that, so just go with it, man." And and it was kind of a joke when he said that, but it just made me wonder. You know, I bet you we've all had similar thoughts at some point. I have. And so I think that we are in the right room. And I, I just pray that this message is helpful to you this morning. So uh, right off the bat, what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to answer the big question. And then I want to show you the answer right in the text. Okay. So the big question that I'm uh, trying to answer is this. What is the connection between the sovereignty of God and the choices that you and I make every single day? Or again, what is the connection between the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility? And the answer to that question is this biblical principle. God in his sovereignty, ordinary means to accomplish his glorious predestined purposes. I'm going to say that again. God in his sovereignty has predestined ordinary means to accomplish his glorious predestined purposes. And we'll, and we'll see that throughout our time together today. Okay. Now, Charles Spurgeon answered this same question like this when he was asked if he could reconcile these two truths to one another, sovereignty and human responsibility. And he said this, I wouldn't try. I never reconcile friends. And I love that answer. I love it. And that's the point that, that I'm hoping that we all grasp this morning. In the Bible, the sovereignty of God and, and human responsibility are not enemies. These neighbors. These, these truths are not in this endless state of cold war with each other. They are friends and they work Together, And we'll see that here in our text in just a few moments. So with all that said, uh, go to the book of Acts 27. We're going to read our text here in a moment. And just as a bit of context, uh, where we're at so far in Acts, Paul, since about chapter, has been uh, a prisoner. And this is the story about Paul's journey to Rome so that he can stand trial before Caesar. Okay, so let's read our text, uh, 27, 13, and we will go from there. Okay, so uh, verse 13. Uh, now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous, is that how you say that? Well, anyway, wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called 
uh, Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. Up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Cerdes, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently uh, storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest laid, laid on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. I'll just take a second to pretend, imagine you're there. All hope, I mean, all hope of being saved, gone. We're going to die. This is looking bad. This storm is like nothing we've ever seen before. All hope is gone. So try to picture that you're on that boat and you've just... It's been a long, a dark night. Verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. Look at verse 26. But we must run aground on some island. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that they might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Look at verse 30 here. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea, under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. And we're going to you skip to verse 44 so you see the end of the story. So they run the ship aground, verse 44, and the rest on plan. Uh, but the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them on carrying out their plan, he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land and the rest of the planks and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. So everybody was saved in the end. So that's our text for this morning. Let me just pray for a second and then we'll go from there. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for these men in this room. I get uh, inadequacies this morning. I need your help. God, help me to communicate your truth clearly, Father. I uh, pray that you would be made much of this morning, Lord. And uh, yeah, may you be glorified is really what I pray. And would you just help me as I communicate this morning? Would you equip your people, encourage them, empower them this morning for life and godliness? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Acts 27 is a great chapter where Luke is telling us of Paul's journey to Rome. And he describes how Paul was shipwrecked along the way. Now, you got to look at the fascinating contrast. I try to point it out right in the middle of these verses. Look at verse 22, as the ship is being just totally pounded by this powerful storm. Paul says this, There will be no loss of life among you, but only 
of the ship. Now look at verse 23 and 24. Paul tells the crew that the message he just gave them is from God. God is the one who decreed what would happen. Look at the text. For this very night, there stood before me an angel or a messenger of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So God has decreed nobody will die. Right. But then look at verse 31. A few sailors are terrified. And if that was me, I probably would be terrified as well. I mean, I'd be scared. They were terrified about the storm, and they tried to escape the sinking ship secretly. And so Paul finds Julius, who is the uh, centurion in charge of the transport to Rome, and he says this, Unless the men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And so right there in our text, you find these two twin principles of divine sovereignty and human responsibility perfectly juxtaposed against one another. These are truths that so many people, from the rankest Armenian to the most rigid hyper-Calvinist, insist are contradictory truths. But here they appear side by side and in perfect harmony in the Bible. They are friends. There is no contradiction. Both things were true. Not one soul was going to die on that ship. Why? Because God had decreed that that would happen. But unless the crew stayed on the ship, as we saw in verse 31, and unless the crew was responsible to bring the ship aground on the island of Malta, as we can see in verse 26, the passengers would not be saved. So then how can both things be true? Well, it's simple. Because God ordained the means as well as the end. God ordained the means as well as the end. And in this case, the means that God ordained for the saving of the people of the ship depended on the crew's ability to steer the ship to the island of Malta and then run it aground into the sand and surf. God's sovereignty did not annul the sailor's response. God's sovereignty is the very thing that established the sailor's responsibility. And so what we see is that God works through instruments. And he often uses human instruments and ordinary means to accomplish his glorious predestined purposes. God could, of course, accomplish all his good pleasure solely by the direct agency of his own hands. He could accomplish his will simply by speaking the word as he did all through Genesis chapter 1. He could. But most often, God works through secondary causes, indirectly through whatever instruments he sovereignly chooses. He set the sun in the heavens to give light to the earth. Could God have illuminated the earth by direct light from his own glory? Yes. 1,000 times yes. That's how the new heavens and the new earth will be illuminated. 
Revelations 21:23 says that there is no need of sun New Jerusalem for the glory of God gives its light and its light is and its lamp is the lamb. So God can work any miracle he chooses and accomplish his will with or without means. But in ordinary cases, he most often uses ordinary means. That is how he established his universe. And this is why we are responsible to do as he commands. Even though we know that he is utterly sovereign and his will cannot be thwarted. It was absolutely and per purpose was for every man on that ship to be saved from the storm. It was also absolutely and perfectly true that unless the sailors remained with the ship and fulfilled their duty and responsibility to run the ship aground, lives would be lost. The same God who decreed the end determined the efficacy of the means that he chose. His sovereign decree to save every passenger did not nullify the duty of the sailors but rather it it established and it affirmed their duty. Verse 2, clear that it was God's certain and infallible purpose to save every soul on that ship. That is clear. Verse 31 establishes the fact that their salvation would be brought about by the actions of the centurion and on the subsequent actions of the crew. The whole thing, though, was done by the appointment and the decree of God. And it was also accomplished by the voluntary action on the part of the centurion and the sailors. Real choices with real consequences and a sovereign reigning and ruling over that whole scenario. Both things are true. There is no difficulty whatsoever if you understand that God ordained the means as well as the end. Paul's knowledge of God did not pre- uh, prevent him from issuing a, a warning in direction to Julius. Paul, But that knowledge did not stop Paul from giving Julius, hey, here's the heads up button. Neither did the knowledge of God's purpose prevent Julius and the soldiers from doing what they needed to do. So you can't miss this. We can't miss this. The belief that God wills something is is a powerful reason to use every means available to accomplish God's will. It is not a reason to fold our hands and say, God will do it whether we do anything or not. So that's the principle in our text. Now, with all that said, let me make this very practical and go back to the questions that I started out with. Okay? First question was this. Why do we pray if God is sovereign and knows what I am going to pray before I even pray? I've asked that question before. Here's a few thoughts, and then I'll give you the point. We pray because God invites us to ask for what we need. That's what Matthew 7, 7 and 8 say to us. Limited access to the throne room of the universe and the God of heaven. That's incredible. 
Tim Keller said, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. We pray to express our total dependence upon our Heavenly Father. When R.C. Sproul discussed this issue, he quoted John Calvin, who said that prayer is not for God's good, but for our good. We pray because God is honored by our persistent faith, as we can see in Luke 18. We pray because God is God and we are not. Amen. We pray because God has commanded us to pray. Because God has commanded us to pray, men, we obey. And here's the bottom line. Why pray if God knows everything in advance? We pray because God has ordained that our prayers are a part of his plan for the universe. Our prayers, your prayers, really do matter to God. God has ordained that some things happen in the world because his people pray. Our prayers are one of the ordinary means that God has sovereignly accomplished, appointed, my bad, to accomplish his will. It is not that God needs our prayers. He doesn't. But in his kindness, he is inviting you and me to join him in what he is doing in this sin-cursed planet. That's pretty cool. Second question was this. Why do you and I share the gospel if God is sovereign and he is the one who elects people unto salvation? People will often say that God's sovereignty in salvation will will, uh, nullify the gospel. If God has... uh, ordained that his elect will be saved, what need is there for preaching and sharing the gospel? Well, we can't forget that God ordains the means as well as the end, and the, and the means that God has chosen by which to call his elect is the preaching of the gospel. Romans, will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Second Corinthians 5.11 says this, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. It is in no sense incompatible with the truth of election or the principle of God's sovereignty in salvation to Persuade sinners to plead with them as ambassadors of Christ to be reconciled to God. That plea and that God has ordained to turn people's hearts to himself. That's what scripture means when it says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation in Romans chapter 1 verse 16. First Corinthians 1 21 says this, for after that, In the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So if you understand this principle, that God in his sovereignty normally accomplishes his plans through the use of ordinary means, it will clear away most of the city that is so often associated with the doctrine of divine, resp- uh, divine sovereignty and its twin truth, human 
responsibility. Our duty as Christians is to proclaim the promise of forgiveness, to urge men to repent, and to plead with them to be reconciled to God. Those are the very means that God uses to save those whom he effectually draws to Christ. He does not save sinners apart from the means he has chosen. And finally, the third question I asked was this, if God in his sovereignty has ordained all of the affairs of human history, get some popcorn, watch the events of human history unfold, or does God have a role apart from me to play in what he is doing in the world? Let me say right out of of the gate here, that the answer to that question is a little bit more nimble. And I actually hate that word, but that was the best one I could come up with. It's a little nimble, okay? Now, the overarching principle that that answers this question we've already been talking about over and over again. God works through instruments. And he often uses human instruments and ordinary means to accomplish this. Another way to say that would be that God uses people to accomplish what he's doing in in the world. So the the practical answer to the question is this. No, we don't just get to sit down and hang out. God has a part for you and I to play. But at the same time, the second part of that answer is yes. Sometimes you do watch and be still and see what God will do. That's the nimble part of the whole deal. Okay, It's, it's both and. Okay? So then the next question would be, okay, so then how do I know? <laughs> how do I know? When, when do I act? And, and, and when do I know how to just be still and watch and see what God would do? That's really where the rubber meets the road. How, how, do, I, how do I know that? <clears throat> so what I'm going to do is rather than give you this rote answer, Instead, want to equip you with the grid. I want to give you this filter that I have used many times, and then I want to illustrate that grid and that filter with a story, and then we'll pray, and then we'll be done. Okay? That's the plan. Now, the grid that I'm going to share with you, men, is, is just a series of questions that are based on biblical principles that have been super helpful in in trying to figure out this tension. When do I make this decision? When do I just kind of hang out and see what God would do? Okay, so simple. So let me just run through these questions. All of these have um, verses, biblical principles attached to one another. Uh, Maybe for the sake of time, I won't give you those, but maybe we can make this grid available later, Dan. You good with that? Okay, so let me just run through the questions. Uh, so you don't have to feel like you have to write all of them out. We'll give them to you. Uh, but uh, here's kind of what I've, some questions that I've asked myself when I'm trying to figure out that tension. First question is this. Have you prayed about it? Second question, what does the Bible say about this specific thing? Next, what do the people who love me say? Next question, what do the people who I have to say about this? Will this decision glorify God? Will this decision be for the good of others? Will this decision continue to advance the gospel? Will this decision benefit me spiritually? 
will this decision violate my conscience? Will this decision exalt me in my position or Christ? And it's my action in this decision marked by humility or meekness. Very simple questions, nothing like, oh, my word, that's amazing. <laughs> Super simple. And, and, and the deal is that sometimes you may use all these questions. Sometimes you may not. Now, for I'm, I'm going to come back to this in a second, but for a, a quick moment, let me talk about hearing God's voice. Because how sick would it be if when we are trying to figure out what to do, if God just said, gauge, you shall do this. That'd be awesome. That'd be so epic, you know. So is God's voice audible? Now, I have never heard God's voice audibly. But I can tell you that when I've been in the crux of making decisions, seeking God for wisdom and guidance, his voice sounds a whole lot louder than audible to me. And I'll talk about that in a second. Now, what about when you're unsure? And, and what you should do is unclear. Well, my advice would be to, with as much wisdom and as much counsel and as much prayer and information as you can, just do something. And rest in this, brother, that God is so good and God loves you so much that he will even sometimes allow poor choices. And they will work to his glory and your good. Now, let me illustrate some of this last piece of this message with a story, and then we'll pray. Okay. So first story, part one is this. Back on 26, back in 2016, I was on staff here at CLS and uh, the elders gave me and my family the green light to start exploring potential places where we uh, would plant a church. Four to five exploratory trips all throughout Oregon, praying, meeting with pastors, just kind of getting a feel for different towns in the state. And um, while I was on one of those trips, I got a message from a friend and all that the message said was, can we chat? And I thought to myself, sick, we've got our first recruit. You know, we've got our first uh, core team member. Uh, he's going to want to say, I'm going to, I'm going to move down. We're going to do this together. It's going to be awesome. Right. So we set up a time to talk the next week, and I, as soon as you got on the phone, right, I was going to prepare my vision for this guy, and we were going to plant this church together. And when we got on the phone, he beat me to it, and he pitched me, okay? And basically, what happened is that the senior pastor of his church was going to be moving from Seattle down to Southern California to plant a new church with some friends. And they were looking for a new lead guy, and he uh, wanted to ask me if I was interested in the job. And so in an attempt to kill the pitch, I said, well, here are the seven non-negotiable things that I, uh, these are the values that I want to plant a church with or around. And I was sure that he was going to say no to that. But to my surprise, he said, Louise, what you just said are the very things that we've been praying about and hoping for. So long story short, I said, okay, I'll pray about it. Now that message led to this phone conversation, which then led to six months of this um, process, trying to figure out if God was calling me and my family to move to Seattle to take over this church. We invited the people that we love into this process, our family. We invited our elders into this process. 
we use this these very questions that I just talked to you about. Would this move glorify God? Check, yes. Would this move in pastoring these people be for the good of others? Well, I think so. Check. We went through this grid over and over and over again. We took many trips to Seattle. We had long conversations. We fasted. We prayed, etc., etc., etc. And after six months, we were convinced that God was calling us there. I didn't need an audible voice because it just felt that God's voice was louder than that. Everything was pointing to, yes, you should go. Our family was in agreement. The elders were in agreement. The sending church was behind us. The, the receiving church was eager for us to get there. The questions in the grid were answered positively. We had this inner sense that God was in this. And honestly, it, it, I would have felt like we were intentionally disobeying God. And I bet you, you can ask some of the elders. We all felt like that. We knew, we felt like God was doing this. So we, off we were. And guess what? Even though we checked all the boxes, even though everything, even though God's voice felt louder than audible, things, things did not go great. It was an anvil. But regardless, there is no wasted motion with the Lord. God is still sovereign. God was still good. And God allowed this to happen in my life to shape me and make me more like Jesus because he loves me a ton. And I'm okay with that. Now, last story, May of this year. Acts 29, which was the network that I uh, was a part of in Seattle, reached out to Pastor Dave. And those guys had brought this interim pastor to take over after I left, but after a one-year interim agreement, the pastor was going to leave. And so they asked if I would come back to take over the church. And my heart was like, yeah, 100%. Why? Because there are some dear people that I love there. And and I, I wanted to go protect them and shepherd them. But I knew better than to follow my heart. What do I do? Off to the grid I go, right? Some questions were answered, yes. Would God be glorified by this? Yeah, I think so. Would people be helped? Yeah, I think so. Some questions were answered, no. My wife was like, no way. (laughs) 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 You know? So some questions were yes, some questions were no. So what did we do? I, I didn't have a clear answer. So with as much wisdom as I could get and as much counsel as we could get and as much prayer as we could pray, we made a decision not to go. And we are joyfully trusting in who loves us. We are trusting that he has a plan for our family. And we're totally okay with that. (laughs) Pastor Dave also said no, so that was helpful. So those are two very simple examples of how I've used that grid that I've talked about. Um, and so I just pray again, super, it's not this rocket science list of questions, but I pray it's, it's helpful that it allows you to step back as you try to figure out this tension and, and, and get some perspective and, and seek the Lord. And I, I hope that this grid and this talk just um, equips us to make decisions. Uh, 
Let's just pray. Guys, with that, Father, we we love you. You are good, and um, I just pray that you would. Um, I think our desire might. We just want to honor you, God. We want to glorify you, Lord, and uh, help us to do that in our decision making, Lord. I bet you that some of us in this room are even right now facing tough decisions. So would you meet those guys, God? Would you just uh, right where they're at, meet them, equip them, and speak to them, God? Some of us will have to make decisions that are hard soon. Be with us then, Lord. But in, in all things, help us to remember that you are sovereign, that you are good, that you love us, Lord. And help us to make these choices uh, for your glory. Thank you for this morning, Lord. Bless our time, or the rest of our time together. And I pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.